Welcome to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. It's great to be with you again today. David, it's great to be here in the South where I ate one tomato out of my garden this week. Well, what? at least you got a big one. I got one. You got a little tiny itty bitty one? one I, got a little, I got a little cherry tomato too, but it was really the, the, the big tomato tasted very well, very good. Uh, but it's going to be a while before I can hear the, taste the other ones, I think. They looked all pretty green. Um, but we are finally getting some consistent rain and some nice heat, and that will be good for the tomatoes it's as we go to forward. It's like uh, six days of rain, I think. Yeah, it will it'll come forward eventually. I think uh, I think it will be good. But Now, too much rain, of course, will kill our tomatoes again, uh, like it did last year. But hopefully we'll get, get some better stuff. But I am, David, going today to attend the annual conference of the American Immigration Lawyers Association, otherwise known as AILA, of which I was president uh, seven or eight years ago. I can't recall quite when. Eight, eight to nine, I think, seven years ago. And it's in the glorious city of Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> Uh, where it looks like it's going to be about 114 degrees when I oh, get yeah. there. They've been, it's been brutal. Yeah, the worst part is I have a tea time tomorrow about 11 o'clock in the morning um, when it's going to be 115 degrees. Are you going to wear that little hat that you have that has the two fans on it? We, that would be a good idea. It would be a good kind of hat to wear for that. Uh, maybe a backpack full of water would be, uh, a camelback would be really good. But I'm looking forward to it uh, because the annual conference of the American Immigration Lawyers Association is when we as immigration lawyers, the best immigration lawyers in the country, get together and talk about what's going on in immigration as we teach each other the things we have learned over the last year. Uh, but, David, I have to tell you, uh, we were very disappointed uh, in the Supreme Court this week because uh, we thought for sure on Monday we would get a decision. And I, I, think, I would just say some of us thought we would get a decision. David, I have been predicting, however that the Supreme Court would not issue its decision until all the immigration lawyers in America, the good ones, were not in their office this week, and they are in Las Vegas. As you likely know, and many of our listeners know, the Supreme Court issues decisions in June every Monday and every Thursday. Uh, Thursday is the, very fir- is the opening session of the conference. So my guess is at 10 o'clock in the morning on the website of uh, the Supreme Court, they will issue Texas or the U.S. versus Texas decision. Uh, but, Dave, we don't know what's going to happen in that decision. We've talked previously about the three possibilities. The first possibility is John Roberts stays true to his ideals and decides to find that the state of Texas does not have jurisdiction, does not have jurisdiction to bring a lawsuit against the federal government. That's called standing. Uh, and if he finds that, which would be consistent with his history on standing, then the Texas case goes away. Uh, your good friend, uh, just Judge Smith's uh, decision is evaporated into thin air uh, and is no longer relevant. And DAPA starts uh, as soon as the Obama administration can put get their act together. Now, David, that, of course, I know you're a huge fan of the Obama administration and their efficiency in bringing forward government regulation and policy. Uh, but I fear it could be two or three months before we get anything from these folks. Uh, now, the other way it could go, of course, two other ways it could go. They could find that there is jurisdiction uh, and find that Judge Smith was wrong. I guess they could find that. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, or they could just split 4-4 on the decision and say, you know what? Four of us agree there's jurisdiction. Four of us don't agree there's jurisdiction. We tied, which means the Judge Smith's decision remains, but only for the Fifth Circuit. It's not a nationwide decision. Doesn't have doesn't have any precedent value. So all of those are possible decisions. But my guess is, if they are waiting this long to issue a decision, it's not a four four decision. I don't see how it could be a four four decision 
if they have gone ahead and not issued it. Because if it was going to be 4-4, why not come out weeks ago and say, you know, it's 4-4, because whatever they write is irrelevant. It's not, it basically, at that point, doesn't matter. It has no presidential value. doesn't apply to even to this case. So I think they've made a decision. And I really think the only decision they could have made, unless they rule on standing and find that there is no standing, which would be a presidential value. That would be a very, very important decision going forward because it also impacts the transgender lawsuit that was just filed, a bill that was just filed against uh, the Obama administration a few weeks ago. I think it has an enormous presidential value. And I really don't think they would have uh, delayed issuing a decision in a 4-4 case. Yes, yesterday they issued five decisions, uh, one of which was huge. All of them were, none of them were 4-4. Uh, so I think the 4-4 decisions are over, and I think we're going to get a decision, David. That's actually kind of exciting now that I think about that. Um, now, the only unexciting part is I will not be here in Georgia to talk to people about it because I'll be in Las Vegas at this conference. Maybe I'll leave a little early, uh, come back a little bit early uh, so we can talk about this with people. But I think it's going to be remarkably uh, insightful, remarkably interesting to see what the Supreme Court has to say. Um, so that's the big news coming out of the Obama administration and the Supreme Court yesterday on immigration. So my prediction, David, now that they've waited this long to issue a decision, is they will find that there is no standing. Uh, and because there is no standing, which impacts other cases that will likely be on the court's docket going forward, uh, DAPA will take effect. Uh, and that we will have some relief for three to five million people, uh, at least until November, when we find out whether there is a President Trump. Or, as I had predicted, David, I know you wrote this down, maybe over a year ago, that Hillary Clinton will be the next President of the United States. I know you're excited about that. Um, and, and, and you're probably one of those people that have given huge amounts of money. You're, you're not a Wall Street banker, though, are you? Uh, so you probably haven't given them any money. Um, but if you had given them money... You would then say you were part of the winning team, so or the losing team, depending on how you view the Clintons. Just going forward, now I think the best part about Hillary Clinton being president is that means Bill Clinton becomes the first dude. And I'm just saying, if you could have the very very first first dude, wouldn't you pick Bill Clinton? I mean, the guy Clinton knows how to have fun. <laughs> you got a big old sly smile on your face, thinking, "Oh my gosh, what is that guy going to do when he is the first dude?" I don't have any idea, but I can assure you, David, it will likely not be good. It will likely not be good. Uh, or more, maybe not even be moral at that point. Although the dude is, isn't he like 67, 68, something like that? 69, he's your age. Uh, wait, you didn't know him growing up, did you? No, I mean, you're both from the Texas. South. He, he was an Arkansas. He's an Arkansas boy. There are a couple of states between them. Okay, well, I mean, you're both from the South, kind of. Texas is not really the South, I don't think, but... Um, so you're the same age, uh, and uh, so hopefully, in, unless his supply of Vi- Viagra dries up, he, may, he could could supply you with some very interesting tales going forward. I'm just looking forward to the National Enquirer headlines because I do occasionally go to Kroger supermarket, and you know you kind of glance through. They go, "Oh, what's what's Bill done now?" I think it'll be interesting. I think it'll be interesting. Because, yeah, there's a new book coming out. Uh, there is uh, by his one of his uh, Secret Service. Uh, oh, I, th- I thought they, they out already. I think I saw him on CNN just, the other day or someplace like that. Yeah, well, he. he He's not a huge fan, I, I take. Uh, from what I've seen from his television appearances, not a huge fan at all. Um, but, you know, when uh, I think it does damage to the Secret Service to have their former people come out and talk about stuff like that because I think it makes future people that have to be protected by them less trusting. I, I think in the past people have just simply 
and then the Clintons haven't necessarily been the nicest to their Secret Service staff. I, I get that, um, and I'm sure other presidents have have been as well. Haven't been as well, and some have been very gracious. I assume like George Bush, very gracious man. I'm sure was gracious to him, but I think you talk. You you are more cognizant of them being around and less open if they're around. If you think in the future they're going to write a tell-all book about what a terrible person you are, it's certainly not going to. If you're a bad person anyway, it's not going to make you treat them better. It's going to it's going to have you be more wary of them, which is not good as a protectee. I don't think. I don't know where your position is on this. So, I don't think these tell-all books by by police by secret service are necessarily a good thing. Um, and the reality is, it, was Hillary a very nice person in the nineties? Probably not. But her husband was sleeping around a great deal. So I'm, I'm going to cut her a little bit of slack on this, uh, that she didn't Lorena Bobbitt the guy at one point. Okay? <laughs> so I'm going to cut her, Hillary a little bit of slack on that. And as far as her facilitating it or tolerating it, yeah, I mean, clearly, if you know, I'm not a woman, but if I was when my husband was cheating, I probably wouldn't be the most gracious person to the people he was cheating with. I'd probably find ways to make their life miserable. So, I mean, I... I don't know what your position on that, David, is, but none of that surprises me and certainly doesn't make her less capable of being president. Uh, now, this week, David, I have to tell you, uh, some some other immigration news uh, is likely to come out. Uh, I have talked to a friend of mine uh, in the White House, and I think we may be seeing this week the issuance of regulations <clears throat> Excuse me, on the uh, ability of permanent residents to sponsor their spouses for waivers in the United States, what we call the provisional waiver. We've been waiting on the provisional waiver for, wow, maybe about a year and a half at this point. The regs have been set for months and months and months. And uh, I, I, I just think that uh, uh, this person told me that look for those regs to be issued on Friday. Uh, which would be co- which would be consistent with the immigration lawyers having an annual conference, all the good lawyers being out of town, and not being able to call their clients and and, and talk to the press. So, uh, I think we've got some really interesting stuff coming up. Look for that this week too, uh, because I think it tells a story about where the administration's going. Now, David, I do want to focus a little bit about politics, and we have talked a little bit previously about what would happen politically. If the, if the Supreme Court comes down and says Obama wins, Obama's allowed to conduct a deferred action program uh, for people who are undocumented in the United States, uh, being a program that prioritizes certain people for deportation and unprioritizes other people for deportation and certainly makes their life easier in the United States. Now, the question is, what is the political outcome of that decision. Who does it hurt? Who does it help? Um, and there was an interesting article in Reuters about this that kind of looked at, looked at the pros and cons of who is helped, whether the Obama administration gives them some help. Look about this. So the Obama administration, if they win this case, they then have, I'm not going to say a carte blanche, but they certainly have a little bit more authority, as do future presidents and this is important, on what the limits of executive authority are and what that can be done to stop executive authority by states. Now, this is important for Donald Trump. Let's say something terrible happens and Donald Trump becomes president. Okay, And let's say that, David, you and I can't afford to leave the United States at that point, so we're stuck here. Okay, Trump has, has acknowledged and has said that he would, he would do a series of things 
that probably would violate at least some of the first ten amendments of the Constitution and certainly would impinge other constitutional rights of U.S. citizens. So the question is, if the Supreme Court rules in Obama's favor, does that help or hurt Trump and his plans to do whatever crazy stuff he has proposed? I think it helps him. It gives him a lot more cover to say, well, the Obama administration did it. I can certainly do it. I'm gonna, can I ban all Muslims? You know, Supreme Court that's said I probably could. Now, I think he probably can't, but it certainly emboldens him to do that. He says, uh, I want to make sure that uh, guns are available in nightclubs. So we're going to hand out guns people go to nightclubs. Can he do that? Maybe, maybe not. But again, when the Supreme Court comes out and says that the president has wide authority in immigration law specifically, it certainly strengthens the hand of Trump going forward. And we talked about that a little bit going forward. Now, let's talk about the political side of this. Supreme Court comes out June 23rd and says, Obama, you are right. You have the authority to do this. Hillary has said that she would expand on what Obama has done. So her hand, her play forward to expand deferred action, not just to those who have children who are U.S. citizens, permanent residents, but what Hillary's plan is to, to expand that to people who have children who have DACA in the United States, which is kind of a, the ultimate bootstrap argument, uh, to help another million people get a work card. Hillary comes out and says, look, my plan can work now. Put me in there, my plan can work. So people are more motivated to vote for her. The question we want to take up when we come back is, how motivated are people to vote for Trump that don't like immigrants because of this decision? We'll be back on the Immigration Hour in the next break here on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, del Buffet de Abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración, llámenos hoy. Conocemos la ley. Sabemos cómo ayudarle. Si hay algo que se puede hacer, nosotros lo podemos hacer. Llámenos a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos por el internet a la www.immigration.net. Buzz off with Lawyer Liz. Join me each week, Wednesdays at 2 o'clock, as we talk drones, Internet of Things, and technology. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. David, we were just talking about how the uh, decision of the Supreme Court if it comes out in favor of Obama, will help Donald Trump or will hurt Donald Trump, will help Clinton or hurt Clinton. So there is a group of people that will be more motivated to vote for Hillary if the Supreme Court finds for Obama because her plan to then expand DAPA 
looks like it could work. So you have people that would then say, well, you can help my mom and dad. You can help my uncle. You can help my aunt. I'm going to vote for Hillary Clinton. Even though they might not be disposed to vote for Hillary Clinton, they would vote for Hillary Clinton. Now, if the Supreme Court comes out and says, oh, my goodness, no, this is uh, – uh, you win. Who who wants to vote? You lose. So you, there is – that Obama is wrong or it's 4-4. Who gets strengthened by that? Does Hillary get strengthened? Hillary then's plan to expand DAPA is dead. Okay? That means they have to look to Hillary and say, well – Okay, now you can't expand DAPA. How are you going to fix immigration law if you don't have the authority as president to be a little more generous with work permits? So she has to get a lot more specific at that point in a general election about what plan she will put forward to fix our immigration system to deal with all these people that are here undocumented and to deal with future flow in a way that's very opposite with the way that Donald wants to do it. Now, if the Supreme Court rules in favor of Obama, how does that help or hurt Trump? Well, Trump, of course, will immediately trumpet to his trumpetees uh, the idea that, look, we can't allow the Supreme Court to do this. We can't allow Obama to do this. we got to stop people from being able to stay in the country illegally. We've got to deport everybody. The day I'm president is the day this program ends. So if you are clearly leaning one way, leaning towards Trump, maybe you're pushed away because he becomes even more anti-immigrant, or maybe you're pushed towards him because you don't like undocumented immigrants in America. So you're going to probably vote for him more than you would before. But the reality is, if you were going to, if you were, if immigration is an important issue to you, and it's an important issue to you because you don't like undocumented immigrants and you don't like our immigration system, you think we should close the borders, you are going to vote for Donald Trump anyway. I don't see how Trump gets more votes if the Supreme Court comes out in favor of Obama. But I do see how Hillary gets more votes if the Supreme Court comes out in favor of Obama. And I do see how Hillary gets more votes if the Supreme Court comes out against Obama. And if they come out against Obama, Trump's doesn't change at all. I mean, he, he already has such a monumentally terrible approval rate against minor, for minorities, particularly Asian, Latin American, African-American minorities, that he's not going to get any more votes because he's going to say the Supreme Court did the right thing, it shut Obama down, it's a bad program, and he will end, and he will then come out and say, I will end DACA. So all these kids that have immigrants will have those taken away. So I think the either decision does not help Trump politically, but does help him if he if Obama wins, and then Trump wins to enact some of the policies that he has proposed. Uh, whereas Hillary, I think, has helped either way. So I I think it's kind of a no lose situation for Hillary. But it could be, uh, and I don't think it's. I think it's just a it's a non non win non lose situation for Trump going forward. Uh, so I think there's interestingness to watch the political calculus uh, of um, of these individuals of the court decisions of Obama policy as we go forward politically. Now, Donald Trump uh, has an issue uh, as, as a politician uh, in that he isn't one, and that's a problem for him because one. He hasn't raised enough money to run a national campaign. Two, he hasn't put in place enough programs to run a national campaign. And three, he doesn't have enough bodies to run a national campaign. Um, I found interesting this morning, David, that that Trump came out and said he spent $55 million of his own money in the primaries. One, I don't believe that. Do you believe that? I mean, do you believe it, though? Do you believe he really spent $55 million of his own money? I don't believe that. 
Two, from his campaign financial disclosures, he says he lent his campaign that money. Again, what did he lend? Clearly, you think he counted the time his, his, his Trump airplane was in the air? Oh, yeah. I mean, all that, all that money was counted uh, as the donation to the campaign. I bet you he's out of pocket cash, maybe $5 million bucks. Maybe. Maybe six million bucks. I don't believe he's out of pocket any more cash than that. But to run a national campaign, we know you need a half a million to a billion dollars. And we know Hillary is going to raise that much money. That's a no-brainer for Hillary to raise that much money. And she's already running ads against against uh, Trump in a half a dozen swing states. And Trump isn't even on the air. He isn't even on the air. Um, uh, now, Trump is not a good person. He is, uh, as far as uh, dealing with immigration issues and, and understanding politics, understanding how Congress works, understanding how the world works. He's not a person that I, that I could support for president, and I'm certainly not going to vote for Donald Trump. But Hillary gives people the what, what I like to call the heebie-jeebies. You know, she, she brings uh, more baggage than a 747 with her. Uh, and there is issues of her trustworthiness. I don't think there's any issues of her competence, I don't think. I mean, I think she's fully competent. I think she, I think she could be a, a decent commander in chief. My concern with her is, um, why is she really running for president? Really, you knew why Bernie was running for president because he wanted to run America into the ground. That's all my, that's all my, 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 my liberal friends would love to hear that. Um, but Hillary, I don't think she's ever said why she wants to run for president. Uh, I don't understand who she's trying to help other than her own legacy and her own self. I'd like to see her maybe frame that issue a little bit. Maybe she's doing that in states, David, where we don't get to watch television commercials because I think the Democrats still believe they have no chance of winning Georgia. Uh, Polls will show that differently, but I think it's going to be interesting going forward. Now, David, there's another big immigration fight that I want to ask you about, and I think you might want to weigh in on this. Do you know there's a big vote in England coming up? called the Brexit, the British exit vote from the EU. Uh, do you know what the key part of that vote is about? Well, supposedly it's getting out of the out of the uh, EU. But, but why? Why? What's driving it in the UK? Do you have any idea? Probably the Muslims. It's certainly immigrants. Certainly immigrant population. I'm not sure it's the Muslims in particular, although there's a lot of Muslim immigrants in the UK. But immigration is actually a key component of this whole um, uh, this whole process. And the UK over the last two or three years has really, really, really tightened up their immigration program because their Congress doesn't have to do it. The thing called the Home Office, what you would call the Homeland Security Department, the Homeland Security, DHS, they get to make immigration rules that run the country. Our DHS doesn't get to do that. They can amend them policy, but all law comes out of Congress. And they have really made it very, very difficult to immigrate, to work, to stay in the UK other than as a tourist. Um, and even their refugees, they're very aggressive about deporting people from the UK. Um, and but but this whole idea of take back control, make Britain great again, make it Great Britain, Great Big Great Britain great again, uh, is really driving this vote. And it's a very close vote, but it's been interesting to see how immigration has played into that because it's all about uh, looking at the 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 migrants coming from from uh, from Africa. And coming from Eastern Europe, and coming from uh, 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 the Middle East, uh, and even from Asia, coming to the UK. Now, this is a consequence. David is really interesting. Why are so many people from Pakistan and India going to the UK? 
because the UK, they used to be part of Great Britain and, and the United Kingdom. They were all part of it, right? They were a colony. And so there's very deep ties from Pakistan, India, and other parts of the world to the UK because they used to be a colonial power. And people see people want to go back to where it's stable from their own countries because really once the UK left a lot of these countries, it's been, you know, let's just call it difficult. But I, I think this is, I think it's fascinating to see how this will play out. I think the vote is it, um, it's like Thursday, right? I think it's Thursday uh, in the UK uh, to see what happens uh, because immigration will, 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 will be seen uh, as, uh, as a part of the reason that the Britain will have left the, left the European Union. Uh, and there's a lot of people campaigning for and against it. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that happens because uh, what happens in the UK could easily happen over here. Have you ever seen the movie V for Vendetta? Do you know who Guy Fox is? The Guy Fox is the white mask with the guy with the mustache and the, the red little goatee. That's called a Guy Fox mask. And uh, Guy Fox um, led this quasi rebellion in the 1600s, if I'm not mistaken, against uh, against Parliament. And they were going to burn Parliament down, something like. I'm not, a, I'm not a great British history guy, but I did watch V for Vendetta, uh, and so uh, Anonymous is taken there. They're kind of they're kind of they're kind of lead from from the V for Vendetta mask and, and the Gay Fox mask. But in that movie, there is a television character that is remarkably like Donald Trump, and I almost wonder sometimes: Does he watch that movie to get revved up for his rallies? Um, and uh, it's all about making Britain for Britain again, for Britons again, and getting rid of immigrants and getting rid of people that aren't British-born, white people essentially, and uh, turning it into a police state. And there's a lot of Republicans like myself that besides Donald Trump's rhetoric that chased people away from the party will not vote for him because I don't think he actually respects the Constitution. I don't think he actually respects the Fourth Amendment. I don't think he actually respects the Fifth Amendment. And I think he would do things that would make us less safe as a country by moving us away from from the amendments that protect us so carefully. For example, the other day, David, he said uh, in regards to the Second Amendment that uh, if only these people in the nightclub would have had guns at 2 o'clock in the morning, they could have stopped this guy. Ignoring first that there was actually a security guy, an off-duty officer with a gun, who got in a gunfight with this guy. Okay, so there was that. And second, do you really want guns in a nightclub where people drink all night long at two o'clock in the morning? Even the NRA people came out and said, "That's crazy. We don't want guns there." Um, so it, it, Trump clearly is not educated in the context of constitutional issues, and I think that he makes us a lot less safe as a country as we move forward uh, uh, because he makes us, let's just say uneasy uh, about uh, um, the truths that are out there, uneasy about uh, what we are as a country. And as the more he does this, the more he talks about this, the more he engenders people's feelings of fear, of irrationality, of, of distress. And when he does that, he does gain some voters because they are afraid. There are a lot of people that are afraid in America of the new because we've had a good chunk of immigration in the last 30 years. But it also engenders despair among people that are afraid uh, to, that, he will, that he will become president. And it locks them in fear and it makes them feel less safe in their homes. It also engenders people to be anti-immigrant. 
We've seen this too often. I had a woman text me this morning on Facebook that she felt that she'd been pushed out of her neighborhood pool because she was Latina, and they're the only Latino family that own a home in the neighborhood. They said, you don't live here. You can't come to our pool. She said, yes, I do. No, you don't. And she felt that comes from the rhetoric that Trump puts out there. And that's why the rhetoric actually has meaning. It actually has power. It actually has ways of influencing people negatively. And it makes us less safe as a country to have somebody like Trump that puts this forward. And I, I think that uh, the immigration issue is one that locks right into the fears that Trump generates and, and that moves forward. But I have hope. I have hope that we will not have a President Trump. I have hope that we will be protected by a Congress that will ultimately see and be radically changed this election because of Donald Trump. We'll ultimately see the way to actually passing some level of immigration reform uh, that makes us all more safe and makes us greater as a country. Not that we're not great again, because I think we are great, but makes us even better. Let's take our break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano, o tiene problemas con inmigración, o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611, o visítenos al www.immigration.net. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200, or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. David's great to be back. Our, our studio audience has left. <laughs> yeah. We had a little film crew here. I'll be going to Peru next week, so I will not... Uh, I will not be on the. I will be on the air next week uh, before I leave for Peru. But on uh, Wednesday, I'll be leaving for Peru, where I'll be doing a series of discussions on immigration in Lima and Cusco and Arequipa, uh, just to talk to people about uh, you know if they want to immigrate to America, want to do it the right way, want to understand how it works. Uh, because I'm a big believer, David, that that uh, knowledge is power. I don't know who said that. Aristotle, Socrates, somebody said that. Uh, uh, it's um, knowledge is power, and people make bad immigration decisions because they don't understand immigration law, um, and, uh, and and because of that, um, um, people 
go through a process of not really uh, 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 of doing stupid stuff. By the way, our, our guy call. You'll see if we can get a hold of Marty real quick, David, and put him on the air. Um, and uh, but these these decisions people make um, um, are are certainly uh, decisions that impact the rest of their lives, but they make them based upon information they learn from their cousin or their or their sister's brother's third nephew's child. Uh, and um, because of that, they do dumb things. And hopefully when I go to Peru, we'll be able to educate some people to make some good decisions and maybe even bring some investment to the United States. So that'll be something that I'm kind of excited about doing. Um, now, hopefully on the line now, we have our, our guest for today. Is that right, David? And we have joining us now is Marty Rosenbluth. Marty, how are you? I'm doing just fine. It's great to have you with us. I know you had a little reception issue. Or you're traveling a little bit today, but I hope you're doing great. Yeah, no, this, I tried to move to a different part of the house, and I have more bars. Excellent, excellent. Now, Marty, I, I thought maybe you were still in jail. Um, no. <laughs> I was I was in jail as an attorney, not as a detainee. That's exactly right. I want to introduce you to our listeners. Marty Rosenbluth is a hero of mine. Marty is an immigration lawyer in uh, in North Carolina, and he has done a number of very cool things recently. We want to talk about. He's been to Dilly and volunteered there. He's also been at a, probably more Trump rallies than anybody I know. Um, and probably been kicked out of more Trump rallies than anybody I know, and as part of the National Lawyers Guild, help people get out of jail that were arrested at Trump rallies. So, Dave, Marty, thank you for joining us on the Immigration Hour. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, now, Marty's also an immigration lawyer and uh, has shared numerous experiences with me in uh, in our delightful immigration courts in Charlotte and in Stewart and Atlanta. Uh, we try not to talk about uh, about things like that here, Marty, because we don't want to scare new listeners away. <laughs> okay, sure. But I want you to tell us about Dilly. Uh, I mean, you went there about, what, a couple months ago or so at this point? Yeah, I was there for the entire month of April. And so, it really was, you know, simultaneously one of the most depressing and one of the most invigorating experiences I've had as an attorney. I mean, they literally have about a thousand um, women and little kids, babies, um, detained in this detention center in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere in, in Texas. Um, so, I mean, it was depressing because of seeing, you know, what I saw, but it was also invigorating in terms of the fact that, you know, volunteers from all over the country, both attorneys and non-attorneys, are um, coming down to help these um, women and kids. So what, what motivated you to go out to Dilly? Dilly is a, is, a, is a privately run prison by the CCA under contract with ICE to, to process and detain women and children entering the United States at ports of entry in the southern border, coming typically from the Northern Triangle, Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala, correct? Um, that's correct. And, you know, I went down, you know, after reading, you know, about other immigration attorneys who, you know, have gone down to help. And I, you know, I really wanted to do my part. I mean, the the Obama administration, you know, deliberately set up this detention center in the middle of nowhere, you know, far away from any attorneys. I mean, the nearest city of any size is San Antonio. Um, and it's about an hour and a half drive. So, they deliberately, you know, set up this detention center to make it very difficult for the women to um, obtain um, legal counsel. Wait a second, and, wait a second. I know, thought the Obama administration was a friend to immigrants, and he didn't deport anybody. Are you telling me that's not true? 
Well, well, this is the big myth. I mean, Obama has actually deported more people than any other president in U.S. history. And if he continues at the pace that he's going, he would have deported more immigrants than every other president combined um, before he leaves office between 1900 and 1996 when so, the immigration laws changed. So he is truly so the deportation president then, isn't he? He is the deporter in chief. That's what immigration attorneys call him. That's just uh, so. When you get when you get to Dilly, because I'd love. I mean, I'll, I'll be volunteering this next year there, getting into my schedule, and I know friends of mine will be doing the same. But tell us, literally, it's an hour and a half from San Antonio. Is there a hotel? Where do you sleep? Do you sleep in your car? I mean, what what happens there over the course of this month? Well, I mean, there are hotels nearby. Um, but because I was there for a whole month, I actually rented a, a trailer in a trailer park in a <laughs> no, town. No, about. really. So you didn't do this during tornado season, obviously. No, <laughs> I did not do it during tornado season. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, there, there. I mean, even though it's like not near any big city, um, um, it's a really nice small town. There are a lot of like family-owned restaurants and. Um, so, I mean, it, it's very, very survivable, but you just have to, you know, understand that you are an hour and a half from the nearest big town. Now, if you were, you've been to other detention centers and prisons in your, in your law career, would you consider Correct. this a minimum, medium, or maximum security type of facility? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's probably medium, but, I mean, the women can't come and go. I mean, even if they manage to get out of the jail somehow, if they manage to escape somehow, they've got nowhere to go. I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere. So, I mean, it's not like there are armed guards and towers with barbed wires and, you know, and dogs and stuff like that. But, I mean, for all practical purposes, it's maximum security because they can't go anywhere. So, these, and these are women and children, who most of whom have walked or driven across large parts of Mexico. When you were meeting with them, did most of them uh, literally walk up to a port of entry and ask for asylum, or did they try to come in the country alternate ways? Well, you, you had both. I mean, you had both people who presented themselves, you know, at the bridge or at a border crossing and requested asylum, and women who swam across the river or walked across the desert and then were caught by the, um, by the Customs and Border Patrol. Now, most of these women, are they, I mean, a lot of people are saying they're coached, they're told what to say. That has not been my experience in talking to them. What was your experience? Um. If, if they were coached, the coach did a terrible really coaching, good right? job. <laughs> they, I mean, because all the stories were different. And, you know, after eight years, you know, doing asylum cases, I mean, you can pretty much tell when people are trying to pull the wool over your eyes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the stories that these women told were just so heartbreaking and so devastating. Um, and, you know, they were so emotional that, you know, I, you know, believe that, you know, 99.9999% of them are telling the truth. Now, it's interesting. Yesterday, I had a woman come to my office for a consultation from Honduras. She had arrived in the United States at a port of entry on June 13th. She went to Dili on June 14th. She was released from Dili on June 15th with no credible fear interview on an ankle bracelet to report to ICE in Atlanta on June 22nd. That seems a very different process than what we've been hearing about recently. Have you heard about this? Well, and, and you know, ICE 
you know, kind of wants to do this. I mean, they try to, you know, force these women to wear an electronic monitoring bracelet to not have a credible fear interview before they leave. But it's really to their advantage to go through the credible fear process to get released on an immigration bond, you know, without the electronic bracelet. Um, and they have a much better chance of, you know, getting, you know, an honest day in court. Well, that, and that's what was interesting about this woman. And I've seen this with a lot of asylum cases. I've been doing these for 27 years. And so I can spot fakes. And what I've seen with a lot of these women, you always ask them the question, okay, why did you leave Honduras? And almost always, from my experience in the last year, they say, well, I need, a, I need to provide for my family. It's just, it's just this knee-jerk reaction. But then you say, okay, but that's not really why you left, is it? And you could tell they're trying to get the easy part over with because if they think they can stay because they need a job, then they'll then the, then they don't have to deal with the trauma that they've been through. And then the exactly. moment you say, you know what, there are three things that help me win asylum cases: details, details, and details. I need to know what really happened to you. And then the floodgates just open up as they talk about what happened. Have you seen that happen as well? All the time in Delhi. I mean, almost every single case that I worked on down there and their initial, you know, interaction with the Border Patrol, they all said they were coming here to work. Um, the ones who presented themselves at the bridge almost always said that they were seeking asylum. Right. But the ones who swam across the river, you know, they're not going to tell this, you know, border guard yeah. who barely speaks Spanish or you know, something like that, their whole life story. And it's really difficult. And the, the big problem at Dili is despite the fact that the government is calling it a family detention center, they don't have the, the, the resources to take care of the kids. So the women sitting in their credible fear interview have their, you know, their three- or four-year-old kids sitting on their lap. And even then... You know, it's very, very difficult oh. to talk about the fact that their husband raised them, or well, that where they got a, you know, they they a nine or ten-year-old with them, or a fifteen-year-old. I mean, I mean that's bigger than also I mean, true. I mean, that became more true. difficult for mom to talk about what happened. And as she, as this woman unwound to me yesterday, I mean, what she had been through was was horrific, horrific. Now, the good news, of course, is because she was released, uh, she does have an NTA, but hasn't been filed with the court. We will file an affirmative asylum application for her and her right. daughter. And uh, I believe here we'll be able to get an affirmative uh, finding before we have to go to immigration court. But it's it's it, with the griette with the with the ankle ankle monitor. Uh, she she I said, would you rather have stayed in Dili and fought for a bond and had credible fear? He says, no, I really wanted to leave. That place was the worst place I've ever been in my entire life outside of Guan outside of Honduras. A terrible yeah, terrible pretty place. Bad, huh? It's terrible bad. No, so describe yeah. for us. So you go you go to the facility. You, as a lawyer, you go through the metal detectors, and they have a they have a little trailer set up for you, don't they? A little room set up for the lawyers as intake place. Correct. And then um, what? And, and then how do you get to meet the people? Who decides who you meet with? How do you decide who you meet with? Well, I mean, actually, the the women themselves decide. Um, I mean, if they want um, CARA, which is the a joint project of four national immigration groups. Um, if they want CARA to represent them, we'll do our very best to represent every single woman who wants our help. Um, in some days, we'll do intake interviews, um, preliminary interviews with as many as like 120 women. That's just stunning, um, how, how much time? With, with how much time are you getting to do that? 
for each person on average? Um, it, well, you know, as, as long as it takes. Um, and, and luckily, we've, we always need more. I mean, yeah. we definitely need more volunteer attorneys. But fortunately, we've had enough volunteer attorney capacity to do a thorough interview with women. And, you know, sometimes it takes, you know, more than one meeting. Sometimes they don't want to tell us everything on the first mm-hmm. interview. Because sometimes they don't trust you. Two or three. Do you, do you, mm-hmm. do you find, well, actually, you know what? We need to take a quick break. We're going to take a one-minute break and come back. I want to ask you, do they trust male or female lawyers more? That's the question to you when we come back from our break on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración, conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare and learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Our special guest today, Marty Rosemuth. Marty's just got back from Kara. It's been a month in, in, in Dili. Are women more trusting of female lawyers or male lawyers? Uh, or is there no difference at all from, your, from what you could tell? Um, I think during the... Well, it, it depends on what their... Um, their reason for fleeing their country is. I mean, if it's just extortion or, um, you know, that type of thing, I don't think it does make a difference. But if it's rape or sexual assault, I definitely think they do feel more comfortable um, speaking to a woman or, or attorney or a woman paralegal. And we always gave them the choice. So we, def- mean, we, we definitely need to decide. get more, but we need to get more bodies out to Kara at Dilly, don't we? Absolutely, 100%. So hopefully I mean, we can gen up some... We hopefully, ahead, we can, hopefully we can gin up some support for this at our ALA National Conference. What do you think? Well, actually, we, we have a very detailed plan. We have um, a group of former volunteers, so assistant official, you know, with any of the organizations involved, um, made up buttons, say, um, ask me how to volunteer at a baby jail, because that's what they are. I mean, they're baby jails. It jail. is, in fact, a baby um, jail, isn't it? It absolutely is. Yep. It and absolutely then, is. Um, those volunteers will all have information on, you know, how to get people to volunteer, and there will be a flyer, which the volunteers also printed up, um, with information on how to volunteer. So, I mean, any any former volunteer who's speaking on any of the panels is also going to be um, promoting it. Well, I'll make sure I speak about it on my panel on Thursday at one thirty. 
Uh, even though I haven't well, volunteered there yet, I have written a couple checks. So I'm going to try to see if I can get some of my young attorneys to maybe to fly out there for a week this fall as well. I think it'd be good yeah, for them to I mean, get that experience. And now, the longer the longer the volunteers can stay, the more useful they are. Well, let me ask There's you no this question, question Marty. That. So, and, and you may know this, but Georgia is in the top four destinations for people after they leave Dilly. Did you know that? I did know that. And that's bad news, isn't it? That's bad news, and it's bad news because, really, our judges are granting 0% of their asylum cases to these women. I I don't know of anybody who has won a Northern Triangle case in Georgia in the last two years. Do you? No, and no. North Carolina either. No. North so, Carolina is the same. Uh, now, that, that is a systemic problem um, uh, within the EUIR. Because there are other courts that are regularly granting these cases, aren't there? Now, That's true. Now, if you're in Dilly and you tell your client, you get around on bond, and you say, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to go to my visit my cousin in Atlanta. Do you say, do you have any cousins in New York or Virginia or California that you much rather visit? Well, and it's a little bit delicate, you know, because I understand that, you know, venue shopping is not a cool thing, but... You know, I just give them the statistics. You know, I just say, look, you know, it's your decision. You know, obviously you, you should go where you feel most comfortable and you have family. But just for your information, you know, the immigration court in North Carolina, you know, denies 92% of its asylum cases. And, you know, or in Georgia, I give them the statistics for there. So I'm just very, very honest with them. I don't advise them to go to Boston or New York. But I just tell them that, look, I mean, your chances in the immigration court are X percent. Well, you know, I, um, when, and, I'm and, and you have there. to, and, when, and you're, when you're there in Dilly, that's what you have to do. But I'm sitting in my office in Atlanta. Somebody comes mm-hmm. in like this woman yesterday. I have to tell her, you have zero percent. I, I will not win your asylum case in Atlanta. Yep. You have to be very specific. So you're going to pay me to prepare your asylum case, or I'm going to do it pro bono, but you will not win. You'll be you'll yeah. be ordered deported. Now, yeah. if you move to the following places, you at least have a chance of winning your case. Tell me what you want to do, and yeah. invariably they begin packing their baggages at their house and and yeah. going because I I feel as their lawyer here I have to be very straightforward and super honest with them because I, there are too many lawyers that say oh yeah I'll take your money and and they don't tell their client you will lose if you have the following judges who take the position that gang violence is not an asylumable claim. Period. End of story. No matter how bad it is. That is not the law. That is the opinion of certain judges. And I think it's a wrong opinion. And until we have real leadership from the head of EOIR and the chief judge of EOIR, nothing will change on this. Nothing. And the judge, one of the judges in, in, in Charlotte, you know, actually, you know, will tell, I mean, in, not in, not if there's an attorney there, but I've heard him in, um, um, you know, hearings where the, you know, people are representing themselves. He'll say, you know, you cannot win an asylum case in my court. So, so I'm giving you two options. You can either take voluntary departure or, you know, I can order you removed today. And he'll actually berate them into not even bothering right. to apply. And unless they have the guts then to go talk to a lawyer so you can get the tape and appeal it, which you will win on appeal, of course, and reopen the case. That's right. 
they'll just go. And how how many deportations are like that? There are thousands of deportations like that. I think just in between Charlotte and Atlanta, just between, and Stewart, of course, which is just an, its own hellhole in and of itself. Well, and, and of course, the, the thing that you know most you know people don't really understand is that the immigration court, unlike the criminal courts, you know, if you can't afford an attorney, one is not appointed for you. Right. So you you are stuck. Now, did you see what my, our good friend Brian Johnson did? Is as far as the a BIA FOIA? Have you seen those numbers, Bernie uh, uh, Marty? You know, I saw them, but I don't remember. Think them about off this. The top so he FOIA'd basically the remand rate, the appeal rate of specific judges. Remarkably, they answered him in a week. When's your last wow. FOIA that you got back in a week? Never. Never, right? Never. Never. Why? Why would they respond so quickly? One, it's clear they're tracking this information. And yes, two, sure. they want the information out there. Now, there hasn't been, reporters haven't snatched onto this yet. There hasn't been a big story about this, but get this. We have a couple of judges in Atlanta whose remand rate from the board is above 40%. Wow. 40%. Think about that. What judge, what real judge do you know in the real court system who is overturned 40% of the time? Do you know anybody that, if that happened, they would be impeached. They would be tossed out. They would get unelected. And yet, that can't happen with the administrative hearing officers, uh, who, uh, as, as one Justice Department official called low-level government functionaries, in his, in his oral argument to the, to the D.C. Circuit a couple months ago, they are getting overturned 40% of the time. That is stunning. Stunning numbers. And some of those are without without lawyers on appeal. That's just personal appeals. And you and I both know the BIA has granted gang-related asylum cases on appeal. So if the BIA has reversed judges and granted cases they have denied, why are the judges not changing their decisions? Why are they not making different decisions? That's the question I want an answer to. Well, and, you know, again, even, even if the judge himself is, like, half-decent, the, the process is insane. I mean, some of these hearings last, you know, five to ten minutes, yeah. you know, deciding whether or not to deport somebody. That, that, that I is mean, crazy. it's a ridiculous system. Yeah, and, and here's the other problem. Of course, some of our clients from Guatemala, for example, they don't speak Spanish properly. They can't communicate okay. in Spanish. They're speaking uh, some Mayan dialect of some kind. And then you've That's got right. the, the translator coming through who may or may not be a good translator. You may not have access to that translator as a lawyer before you go to court. So there's, there's so many impediments to putting forward an asylum case, and the Obama administration wants to expedite these to make it even harder to put your case. What if, put this in the criminal context, you were arrested by the police, the next day you, had, you have a hearing, the judge says, come back in a week, we're going to have your trial. What criminal lawyer would stand for that in America today? None. None. Yet, as immigration lawyers, we acquiesce to this. We are not being aggressive enough with the administration and with the politicians that allow this to happen. Well, and, and I'm sure it, you must have said this on your show before, but the you know immigration courts have often been described as traffic courts with death penalty consequences, mm-hmm. and that's absolutely correct. Actually, and, Brian, and Brian I, Johnson called them kangaroo courts, but that's there one, you go. one of a better um, term. But I recently sat in on the 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 pro se the the, the, the client the people who are representing themselves. Um, session of the immigration court in Charlotte, and I was just appalled. 
I mean, the judge was actually bullying these people into accepting removal orders rather than filing for asylum. Well, you, you, well, you may have you may have seen the opinion from the BIA. It was an unpublished un, 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 uh, case, but it got out there. One of our local immigration judges was questioning a 15-year-old. Uh, because the lawyer had asked a question about psychology or something related to, you know, what do you think about that? Oh, I need to qualify him to be an expert and then tried to qualify the 15-year-old as an expert in psychology so they could testify as an expert. When, I mean, whoa. I mean, take a pill, man. Just relax. If, if you hate your job this much, what are you doing it for? It's, it's got to be something that's much more uh, – there's got to be better ways to do this. But again, the Obama administration is not interested in better ways to do this. They're so afraid they're of the, the, quote, flood of people coming across the border. And it's you and I both know there's no flood here. There's no flood no. here. This is, this is small potatoes compared to what was happening in the Bush administration. And we That's should be treating people right. as refugees not and asylum seekers, not as the way the administration is treating them, which is as criminals, because they're not. Well, and, you know, the Obama administration's big lie is that they're focusing on on felons, you know, not families. And, yep. you know, they're focusing on dangerous criminals, not, you know, people, not ordinary immigrants. And that's a big reality, lie. That is a big yeah, lie. Yeah, I mean, well, the reality is that they're mostly focusing on families fleeing danger rather than dangerous felons. And even, and in one last comment, even before last year, even last year's numbers, when they were only deporting the criminals, they still, of the people they deported, only 40% had criminal charges, and many of those were traffic violations. So, Marty, we're at the end of the show today. I want to have you back, but I also want to hope, will I be seeing you in Vegas this week? I am, I'm flying out. I'm, I'm about to head to the airport. Excellent. I will be going this evening. I will see you at the Cosmopolitan. I'll see you at our conference. And Joe, know this. The first half of our show is dedicated to the Supreme Court issuing their decision on Thursday at the ALA conference. So I will see you then, my friend. Have a great week. I look forward to it. Take care, Chuck. Thank you, listeners of America's Web Radio. It's Immigration Hour. Tune in next week for details about the Supreme Court. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.